Carlos, thank you so much for uh, coming on Startup Steroid today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation and learning more about the cannabis industry and uh, specifically the role you're playing uh, with uh, Spectrum Cannel Labs. Um, but before we get into that, uh, I know there's a personal story behind why you got into this. Can you share, with, uh, share that story with us? Absolutely, Deval. Thank you very much for the time. Excited to uh, chat about us and the story that got us here. So um, I grew up in the 80s, and with that, you had the D.A.R.E. program. So of course, there was a big stigma around cannabis, marijuana, gateway drug, and I wasn't ever really into it. And, you know, fast forward to maybe about five years ago, and my oldest son was diagnosed with autism. And I actually left my current job uh, at the time at AstraZeneca to look more into that um, because it wasn't something that was on, on my radar at all. And that's how I first started looking into cannabis as a potential treatment for some of his symptoms um, and some of his delays. And, you know, I quickly realized that you couldn't really tell what was going into these products, these oils, these tinctures, and there was little or no safety testing done at the time. So I kind of put that to the side. Um, still a lot of anecdotal evidence, a lot of people believe in it, but I didn't feel comfortable giving it to them. Um, fast forward to the summer of 2017 and I ended up tearing a disc in my back um, because I was watching too much CrossFit on ESPN. And uh, they put me on all the opioid steroids, didn't work. And I went ahead and tried uh, CBD derived from marijuana for the first time. And within 15 minutes, my pain was gone. And that's when my stigmas really started to get challenged. And I took a closer look at the industry and saw that there was a real opportunity with my background in R&D and clinical lab testing at AstraZeneca um, to get into the space and try to, you know, set the standards, you know, along with help push away the stigmas, increased education, because it is still, you know, illegal and there's still a lot of stigmas around it. But that's, that's sort of the, the genesis of it all. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, so we're doing this as much for your son as anything else. So that that's a great North Star to have um, as we start to get into the business. Um, you mentioned AstraZeneca. Tell me about your education and sort of your uh, uh, your involvement in, in the in the medical industry. Sure. Um, I mean, I can start as early as sophomore year in college. Um, <laughs> I actually started working at a startup plant biotech lab that broke off of Calgene Monsanto. Um, I was picking, picking things in the fields, doing you know, DNA analysis on some of the crops, soy, castor, different things. Um, and so that introduced me to startup culture. I graduated with a BS in microbiology, uh, biotechnology and applied microbiology. And from there went directly into vaccine research at Metamune. Metamune made the intranasal flu vaccine. I worked in the research department. Um, I did different studies on flu, rhinoviruses, all kinds of respiratory viruses, including coronavirus actually, um, developed PCR assays for that. And then AstraZeneca bought Metamune um, about halfway through my time there. And I got moved into the analytical sciences. And so started working on phase one through four clinical trials, FDA response letters, um, and working in that clinical lab setting. And again, um, after my son was diagnosed, I left that um, to spend time with him and then realized a few years later, hey, my background is very much in eating cannabis. 
So it made sense to look more into it. So let's talk a little bit more about that uh, transition. Um, you know, working at MetaMune and AstraZeneca, it's a pretty corporate, uh, you know, heavy background where you're playing a sort of a, a small piece of the big puzzle. Um, what was uh, that drive to go into entrepreneurship and starting your own business? That's a pretty big transition for most people. Um, what sure. sort of pushed you towards that? Well, um, I actually had to start again from scratch when I left uh, to spend more time with my son because you know I needed the time to put him into different clinical trials at UCSF and Stanford, do more research. Again, that was my background. Um, in order to get by, I actually started my own real estate investment company. So that sort of started it. Got education there, you know, sort of got bit by the entrepreneurial bug, and then really saw the opportunity again after um, California said they were going to go recreational, and it just fit like things came full circle. You know, it 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 because of my son, it gave me you know a reason to look into it even deeper, and because I had the background and, and realized that it was a huge need and that we wanted to push more education, more research. And the fact that it worked for me, I mean, that's what really pushed me um, to, to start it. Right. No, that's fantastic. Um, so what was this need uh, that you're talking about? You know, I understand cannabis industry is, you know, in its infancy. Um, uh, and, and, you know, there, I, I think you even mentioned, you know, Wild Wild West, uh, uh, you know, as we started the conversation. Um, what is, what's the solution? What, what are you envisioning uh, that you can bring to the, to the table in, on this, uh, in this industry? Right. Well, I mean, just sticking with the Wild Wild West analogy, um, you know, there was really good businesses made around providing people with shovels, right? And so for this space, legal product can't get to the market. There's essentially no market without testing. And there's companies that are just trying to make a quick buck because they can get away with it right now because there's no standardization. It's in this weird gray space, gray space because it's illegal and every state's doing things differently. Um, but we want to get, again, to this higher medical grade standard. And so that's how we're trying to set up. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're trying to start, hey, let's work to a food grade level. Let's put the right, you know, things that we need to put in place, you know, the correct SOPs, um, the correct types of instruments as basic as that, like getting the right types of instruments, talking to the right people uh, so that the data that's getting put out there, you can build off of, meaning that it's consistent, it's trustworthy. Now you can get towards more clinical trials. Um, and so, again, in this space, unfortunately, there's, uh, it's tough to raise capital, and it's very capital intensive for the lab space, and so there's people cutting corners, they're literally falsifying data, and the Bureau of Cannabis Control is actually shutting these labs down. Um, at the earliest, there was about 60 temporary licensed labs, and as the crackdown happened, it's probably around 33 right now, last, last checked. And so that's a good thing. Um, it's also still a pretty huge bottleneck in this space. And so, you know, there's an opportunity there, but we're also seeing that there's more opportunity in pushing the medical side of things and the research. Got it. So just to understand the landscape a little bit better, um, the reputable labs that are there, that are in the food space or in the medical space, don't want to be in this industry, right? So th tell us about uh, that piece for a second 
Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the opportunity right now. And again, there hasn't been this type of opportunity since the gold rush because the established companies, because of the illegality, they would essentially have to start a whole different company from scratch, completely separate from that company, divert resources there. And it's, you know, a good chunk of money to just start up your own lab from scratch right. and do all the research and see what needs to be done. Because again, with the illegality, there's no research to pull from, no standardization. And so whatever the labs develop, that's their in-house IP. That's what is going to allow them to succeed. And, you know, in, in normal research, there's peer-reviewed articles, there's a sharing of information. I mean, there's none of that in cannabis. And so you're sort of relying on, okay, the, the companies that are selling the instruments that say, sure, we can hit these things in cannabis, but the white papers that they might put out, they're not, you know, plug and play, and they're not ready right. for a commercial setting. So Got all it. of that development has to be done. And if you don't know how to do it the right way, then you're starting off, you know, building on sand instead of on, you know, solid foundation. Which is exactly what a lot of, so the other side of that industry, you know, the reputable guys are out. What's coming into the industry are the not so reputable folks uh, who are just taking up space and are just, you know, like you said, falsifying data. Um, let's touch on them for two more seconds. Um, what are they doing? How are they operating? So again, the, California in particular, they do have the most strict regulations, but it was just finalized in 2018. And so, or sorry, end of 2019, actually, or so, beginning of 2019. And so the pandemic is screwing up all my timelines. <laughs> but, um, you know, because of that, there was sort of legacy labs that were already established. And now they're like, oh, okay, well, now you have to test. But the final regulations and the levels that you need to hit, again, weren't set till beginning of 2019. And so there was established labs. They got their licenses because they were operational. But now there's a whole new set of standards in place. There, you know, the Bureau of Cannabis Control has been sort of building the plane as it's flying. And that's just, you know, how the industry unfortunately is. And so actually coming into the space when we did helps us because we knew the levels we need to hit and we see where the industry is moving, which is towards actually not the highest THC levels, but maybe more of these micro dosing, like these five milligram, 10 milligram, you know, stuff that's like in the pharma industry. People right. don't want to be high and knocked out for the entire day. They want to be able to pop a pill, eat a gummy, you know, get the desired effect and then still be able to function. Right. And so in order to get like knowing that, we've set up in order to be able to provide that kind of a service and develop the methods for that. And the, the, uh, the labs that are sort of grandfathered into this industry uh, um, either don't have the equipment or don't have the know-how or if they have the equipment, it's something cheap off of eBay or something like that. Is, is that, am I capturing that correctly? It is. It, it's all over the place. There's, yes, equipment that's just being bought, used off of eBay, and they're trying to adjust and hit the standards. There's legacy labs that have been shut down permanently. There's legacy labs that have had their license suspended. There's labs that are sort of in this weird in-between where maybe they're suspended for three months and then they can keep going. And so, you know, we're still in this nascent part of the industry, and we're just putting our head down. We know what we need to do, and we're doing it, trying to do it the right way. Um, and that's resonating in the space because the people know now that there's inconsistency in the data. If you went to one lab 
and you try to compare that data to another lab, it might not, you know, right. anything close to the same thing. Two completely different results. So that kind of also bodes well because if you're doing sort of pre-testing or R&D testing with a certain lab, you're now going to stick with that lab for your final certificate of analysis testing, uh, CO. Right. And so that actually bodes well for us because customers are stickier that way. Um, right. And it's, it's one of our big selling points is again, our background and actually the fact that we're one of the only minority owned labs in California. And so that resonates with a lot of people in this industry. Got it. So you, you got, you started uh, a spectrum kennel labs in about 2018. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So tell me about that initial vision. What, what was the idea uh, behind getting started and how you sort of developed, you know, bought the equipment, all, all that kind of stuff, how you set, created the SOPs and things of that nature. Right. So we actually first par- started pitching at an Oakland minority-owned business conference, uh, December 2017. Oh, wow. Okay. And from, like I said, it's, it's you know, very capital intensive. And because it's cannabis, you know, there's banking issues because of the federal illegality. There's no qualifying for normal grants or loans. So we've relied on angel investors and people who believe in our story and what we're doing. And so when I say we started mid-2018, that's because when we got a large chunk of investment, that was sort of our seed infusion. And we used that to purchase the equipment. Um, At the time, you know, there weren't too many white papers out on how to test in cannabis. So we were working with Agilent to just keep developing things. And it's nice to have this sort of partnership with Agilent because as they were getting uh, more knowledge in the industry and developing new methods, we, uh, they actually replaced our equipment with, you know, um, new, newer equipment um, and uh, methods that they feel were more consistent. And so we actually didn't even get our final piece of equipment until mid 2019. Now, part of that, of course, was the pandemic, but so mid 2019, we didn't get our full suite of equipment. 2020, you mean during the pandemic, right? Sorry, yes. Mid 2020 is when we got the uh, our final piece of equipment, and now we've been developing all the methods um, from there. And wow. so um, you're supposed to be testing for you know potency, pesticide. Uh, metals, microbiology, those are some of the main ones, residual solvents. Um, and so there's quite a few methods to develop, and there's troubleshooting there, and there's standard issues, but it's something that, again, we feel like we've got good chemists and the right background to do it. Got it, got it. Um, so let's talk about, you know, the R&D aspect of it, because that that's quite unique. Uh, you know, the labs that are, you know, in business or in business to make that quick buck, right? They're, they're testing and just getting things to show. Um, what are you hoping to achieve, uh, achieve on the R&D side? Yeah, so there's a long-term goal and there's a short-term goal with that. The, when, when the industry first started, it was, hey, just get a product onto market, it's going to sell. And then regulations kicked in and they were like, okay, well, this isn't safe. You know, you can't sell this. And now it's to a point where, okay, there are some bigger players, so you really have to start differentiating your product. And most, you know, growers or manufacturers in the industry don't have that in-house R&D capability. And so what we can offer them is 
um, in order for you to stand out and make claims, we can do a lot of testing for you on the R&D side, allow you to dial in your processes, your product, not make sure it's not only safe, but that you better understand the consistency there. Um, and that's what's not in the industry right now. And that's what a lot of people are excited about is for us to help educate them um, along the R&D side and to make sure it's a safe, consistent product. But also now they can make those claims, which will help them sell in a dispensary better. Now, the long-term goal in collecting all this data is also to see, well, who has good, consistent product and who's going to be in an area that may be a prime region. When I say that, um, there's a lot of talk in the space about being the Napa or the Sonoma of weed. And in order to get there, well, you're going to have to make sure not only do you know the genetics behind whatever strain you're working with, but you know the terpene profile, the cannabinoid profile um, of your product. And that's, again, where we can help. Um, and then once we gather all that data, the long-term, long-term, long-term goal is how can we link that consistent product to do clinical studies towards a medical outcome? Because uh, in the space, I mean, there's enough anecdotal evidence now that this product works, but what people are finding is, okay, well, it's inconsistent, or sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it takes more, sometimes it takes less. And that's due to, again, some of the inconsistencies in developing products. Um, but in order to really dial in and have a consistent um, outcome, you know, that's, that's what we're hoping to be able to provide, that is that link. Got it, got it. So you want to get to a point where it's almost like an Advil, right? You, you take one Advil, you know exactly the effects you're going to get. You, you take two, you know exactly the effects you're going to get. We don't have mm -hmm. that in the cannabis industry right now. No. That's, that's where the R&D, that, that's the value prop, right, for the R&D piece. Absolutely, absolutely. We need to start at this testing level just to ensure we have safe, consistent, quality product so that we can do these real studies to link it to the medical outcomes. And Got labs it. are uniquely positioned to do all of that. Got it, perfect. Um, so do you intend to publish papers yourself or do you intend to just support uh, the, the researchers who are probably going to go through this process and develop you know, specific drugs or, or, or you know, develop specific uh, strains uh, themselves? What, what role do you, do you hope to play going forward? We definitely want to support R&D education. In terms of publishing papers, that's not a high-level goal yet, but sharing the information with the key people that are within our network, that's definitely part of it. That's um, because, again, lab testing is a bottleneck right now. It's sort of weird in the fact that we can choose who we want to work with. And obviously, we're not going to work with people who just want to push their product out, just pass us and get us, you know, to, to, to making money. We want to work with people with the same values that want to focus on the medical side, get consistent product. And again, part of our focus is trying to help work with equity minority companies like ourselves so that we can all grow together. Um, that's one of our big pushes because unfortunately, like I mentioned, because this industry is so capital intensive and most people don't qualify for normal loans again, you know, the equity minority applicants are getting priced out. Um, yeah. That's a big, a big issue. Got it. Got it. Okay. So tell me about where you are today. Um, now we have some of the regulations in place. You have some of the equipment that can do the tests. 
what are you doing today? Right, so we're finally in phase three out of four phases of the Bureau okay. of Cannabis Controls Licensing. Um, again, because it is capital intensive, it's been a little bit inefficient. You know, the pandemic slowed things down. It was hard to raise, but that's opened up again um, beginning of this year, which uh, bodes well for us because we're in that space where, okay, we're finally in phase three. The Bureau of Cannabis Control is reviewing our data. There's going to be some back and forth because, again, you're, it's up to the labs to prove, hey, our data looks good and consistent because there's no set way of doing this. Right. Um, but, we, again, we're partnering with the right types of groups like an Agilent who has, you know, obviously a lot of experience in, in the space or a Biomuro, which is in food safety and pharma and does a lot of micro testing. And so I think that uh, connection um, will help set us apart and will also help the customers that um, end up working with us. Um, and so our goal again is to sort of raise some gap funding to get us to final license, which we're hoping is about two months or so. And then from there expand or be ready to expand. So finishing up, you know, another chunk investment to, to really, um, take in all of the people waiting for us <laughs> to open. Got it. So um, you said, you know, you, you hope to get your license in the next two months, two, two to three months. Um, what, uh, what's the outlook afterwards? What, what are the conversations you're having now to sort of prepare yourself for what happens when you get your license? Yeah, well, so we've actually already done projects, research projects with one of the top companies in the U.S., We've done a research project um, with the first hemp uh, testing for UC Davis. And so, you know, those are two key groups that we want to continue working with. But we also have LOIs from a local distributor that would inundate our capacity. And so um, we could break even within the first two to three months um, of opening, even with our small skeleton crew. But ideally, we want to expand. So do a round of hiring, you know, a couple chemists and a microbiologist, um, because we're in an underserved area. We, labs in particular, they're required to go out and sample. So logistically, you know, it's best if you stay within like a two or three hour radius for your customers, because right. customer service is a big issue. And again, there's only about 33 labs covering the entire California. So when you think about that, it's like, well, really you could have hundreds of labs and still have you know, plenty of testing capacity for all of the licenses that are coming on board. Um, as of last year, um, potential customer licenses, which is growers, distributors, manufacturers, are outpacing lab licenses like at least five times. And oh, so wow. that keeps increasing and yet labs are decreasing, right? Because they're getting shut down. And so, you know, again, that bodes well for us in terms of getting open, but then it's just a matter of how quickly you can expand to multiple labs from there. Got it, got it. So now let's talk about the slightly longer term, you know, 12 months, uh, maybe even going out to end of 2022. What's the, what's the game, pl game plan for the next 12 to 24 months? What are you hoping to achieve in that time frame? Sure. So again, we have this unique opportunity because of the federal illegality. And, you know, Biden and Kamala are on board. Most states are on board with getting this federally legal. 
but it's still probably a couple years away, right? Um, mm-hmm. Schumer said he was going to try to get it um, on the ballot this year. But really, what we're hoping for is at least banking. Can we get just some normal banking? So that being said, you know, our opportunity is let's establish this lab the right way in the right area and then move on to multiple labs um, as quickly as possible. And we've already looked into a few other sites that, again, are in sort of these underserved areas because um, cannabis businesses are actually only allowed in about 33% of the cities in California. Now, that's increasing, oh, wow. but that also limits where you can set up. So, you know, there's runs on real estate, and typically you only can be put in certain, like, little pockets of cities at that, right? Right. So that also creates an issue because, and it increases the timeline in order to set up a lab because you have to get your space, you have to have the landlord sign off knowing it's cannabis, you have to get your city license, and then you can start going through the process of getting your uh, cannabis license. And so that's a long timeline. So even if you had the money, it's not like you can just set up another lab overnight because most of these places where you can start cannabis businesses, they're like warehouse spaces. They're not like ready labs. Right. Uh, we looked into having a ready lab because, you know, we're in Davis. Um, and so that also could potentially help with our expansion here. But, um, you know, the goal is multiple labs. And then when legalization hits, we can either spin off into R&D or be a target for acquisition. I mean, we're open to, to all of it. It's just, okay, let's set up the right way and we can evaluate the opportunities as they come. Got it. I think one thing you touched on, which we, which I didn't, uh, I, I sort of failed to highlight, uh, but I think is an important point is, uh, you know, when you're buying this equipment, you said it's capital intensive, but there's a reason for it. And, and that's where legalization came in, right? Um, the, if obviously you're not writing a check and buying, you know, a, a $5 million, $10 million equipment, um, you have to get loans and you have to finance these things. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that process. Yeah, that's, I mean, people are taking advantage there. I mean, we're definitely stuck with these predatory loans that are 20% plus. And uh, again, that kills like normal minority entrepreneurs or just the space in general. If you don't have enough capital, I mean, you're not going to start a lab. And let's say you do start a lab, things get tight. I mean, there's, there's sort of then that issue of, well, we either fail or we kind of cut corners and we've been able to avoid that. We don't want to do that. We'd rather fail than be pushing out product that could end up harming people. Um, because again, we will, we're taking this, we want to take this as setting the standards and pushing towards more of a medical, the medical potential of cannabis. But yeah, these predatory loans don't help. Um, and so, you know, one of the big things that now the capital opened up that we were looking for is just, Hey, can, an investor refinance our equipment. I mean, we haven't missed a payment. Yes, we had a little bit of help during the pandemic in terms of furloughs and things, but if we can just get out of these predatory loans, we can save enough to do more hiring. We can cover our rent. And that just means a more viable business, right? So that's, that's what well, one of the nuances and the difficulties of the space. Got it, got it. No, that's fantastic. Um, you mentioned uh, the longer term vision. You, you, you're ex- uh, open to sort of uh, uh, M&A, you know, merging with someone else or selling the company. Um, what time frame do you see around that? Um, do you see that happening in the next two years or do you see that maybe five, seven years? What, what, what's sort of the longer term vision for that? I mean, it's 
we're open to having the conversations again because there's all kinds of people in the space. I mean, we we actually had been approached to be acquired over five times already. We felt our value wasn't there yet because of the licenses. We've been approached to combine with other labs to get put onto an exchange. And we said, that doesn't make sense when there's no standardization. All these labs are doing things differently. Who knows if they're any good or not. Um, we tried partnering with a food safety lab who approached us. And we felt that was a nice fit. But they ended up wanting, again, to take over the company. And we said, no, we're not trying to sell right now. Right. Um, and so, again, it, we're open. We want to make sure that we set up the lab, the systems, and everything here in Lab 1. Uh, set up Lab 2. Um, and we've already looked at a few different areas. Um, but again, always having these conversations because we know that California having the highest standards, when legalization hits, most likely those standards will be adopted. And so that bodes well for expansion to any other states. And remember, every state is setting up how they want to do their testing, how they want to do their cannabis industry. And so, I mean, if you're starting with the most strict standards, then you can adapt to the other ones um, rather easily. Uh, so that's the idea. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, this is a fantastic story and a fantastic uh, idea for a business. We, I've asked you a lot of sort of questions all over the place. Are there any topics that I've left off? Again, I'm not familiar with the cannabis industry, so I'm trying to sort of educate myself uh, as I sort of ask you these questions. Um, anything I've left off, anything that we should cover that's important to the investors, you think? I mean, we briefly mentioned it, but, you know, the equity and inclusion aspect of things, yes, it's big now, but it's something that's been a big topic in the cannabis industry because there's a lot of people adversely affected by the war on drugs. And even though there's these equity programs out there, again, because of the capital intensiveness of it all, still a lot of minorities are getting priced out. And so, again, being the only minority, fully minority-owned a lab in the state, we would just we just mentioned that, and some people are like, okay, well, we're only going to go through you. We want to go through you, and we want to make sure that they understand. Well, look, we want to help you with your business too. We can be your in-house R and D. We can synergize and help grow together. So that's a big part of our value system, and I just want to make sure that's clear as well. That's yeah, no, that's a fantastic point, and. Uh... Yeah, I, I think uh, people really appreciate the fact that this is a minority-owned company. And uh, I think you guys are setting up to do some amazing things. So um, thank you again for coming on today, sharing your story with us. Um, uh, I, I, I hope we can get you the resources you need to sort of keep going down that, uh, that, that path and going on down your journey and uh, eventually helping your son uh, in any way we can, right? I appreciate that. That's, you know, that's, that's our North Star. That's why we started this. And it's, it's a passion project, but I don't know. We also feel it's a good opportunity, a good business. So. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, no, that, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on today, Carlos. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.